0: Be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised.
1: Hello, and welcome to the place where televised. the revolution will not be televised.
0: But it may be podcast.
1: This is the People's Podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm John. And welcome. Today we'll be talking about episode 10 of season 5 of The Walking Dead, an episode called Them. As always, we're going to talk through the happenings in the episode, talk about any particular moments that grabbed our interest, and uh, at the end we'll cover a few key questions. This episode opens with an extreme close-up of Maggie crying. Now I'm just going to say right at the beginning... I am drawing a line under how badly Maggie's character has been written thus far.
0: Yes, I think that's a good idea.
1: I mean, we can spend the rest of the season, (laughs) and we really could spend the rest of the season, talking about how ridiculous this seems, after how they've treated the character for the last 16 episodes. Yes. But let's just pretend, from now on, that they explained her quiet, seemingly uncaring approach to Beth, and she is genuinely upset, and let's move forward from there happy with that
0: I'm happy with that or we could imagine that there were scenes in which she was upset and talking to Glenn and about we're... how upset she was and they
1: just chose to cut them
0: and they just chose to cut them they yeah. just ended up on the cutting room floor
1: so how whatever we...
0: happens we accept that Maggie's genuinely upset exactly let's <laughs>
1: draw a line under all of that terrible terrible writing yes so Maggie's crying and she's obviously extremely upset
0: you can also tell that it's been at the end. Like she's clearly been crying for quite some time. She's probably done the ugly crying. The the kind of heavy snotty, you know <laughs> kind of crying. Yep. And now she's sort of doing the tailing off crying. You yes. know, not quite done yet. Oh zombie die. <laughs> I need to finish this off.
1: That was an astonishing reenactment. Thank I you. like I enjoyed it. Mm. I think as well, I mean we've got to take into account They've obviously travelled for some time. Mm. The show has said that it's a couple of weeks later.
0: Three, I think they said.
1: Yeah. So it's several weeks later. They've travelled a long way. So this isn't the first cry she's had about Beth. No. This is her ongoing grief.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I thought it was very touching. She kills a zombie and we go over to Daryl, who is eating some worms. Or a worm. Couldn't find more than one.
0: Times are hard.
1: (laughs) There's a shot of Daryl eating the worms, and there's a shot of Sasha trying to find some water in an empty creek bed. Mm. And uh, they're just establishing that this group is really struggling to get enough food and water together to survive. From an Australian point of view, did you find the idea that that was a drought-ridden countryside hilarious?
0: <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. I like oh, these trees are green. You there's can grass.
1: Here, billions of insects.
0: Could you not just dig a few feet? The water table probably quite high around here, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) No, it was a little unbelievable from an actual drought-ridden country's point of view. (laughs) Yeah, I was like,
1: aren't you... It's wet mud. Yeah. It's wet... You're standing on wet mud. Yeah. Dig.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I know. I was like, she she started scuffing at it with her boot, and I'm like, you know, you don't even need to do that a few more times, and the water would start to collect in the
1: hole. One of the brilliant CSIRO filters, and you're good to go. (laughs) That's right. She is very upset about the dead frogs and tries to sort of cover them up, which I think is a symbol that she's not dealing with death very well. Yeah. Particularly Tyrese's death.
0: I know. I mean, was she going to stay there and cover them all up? Because there was quite a few.
1: I don't know. I don't think she'd really thought it through.
0: No, that's what I meant. It was an instinctive kind of, I don't like looking at this, I'm going to put some dirt on it.
1: She heads back with Daryl and Maggie and they find the rest of the group And no one's had any luck finding food or water, so they keep heading along the road, and they are slowly collecting a herd behind them. Yes. Which sort of gets more and more imposing as the walk goes on. But Rick is saying, look, they're still behind us, we're not at our best, we need to wait until we can find a good spot to stage our fight with them. Mm. Daryl and Carol head out to uh, try and find some food. Carl gives Maggie, well, he gives her a broken music box. Is that a good gift or a bad gift?
0: I was trying to remember whether, all the way back in season two, whether Maggie had had maybe a musical box or something, and this is some obscure reference to it, because it did seem like an odd gift. I mean, I don't know, maybe he found it, and his limited experience of dealing with women and girls is still confined to, oh, girls like twinkly things, you can have a music box. But yeah, no, it seemed odd to me.
1: They're obviously linking Beth very strongly with music,
0: there's mm. a
1: link we didn't pick up last episode, but thinking about it, the moment where Glenn breaks the CD, oh,
0: yeah.
1: a modern musical device being broken, and yep. there's this sort of idea that the music's gone out of the world now that Beth's
0: gone. I didn't even think of that. Ah, well. Excellent.
1: I <laughs> may have thought about last week's episode a little too much.
0: <laughs> I still think Music Box is an odd gift.
1: It was an odd gift, and even if you accept the idea that it's a symbol of Beth... Mm. Giving her a broken symbol of her dead sister, who's just been broken herself. I don't know, it was odd.
0: Well, it was also... It had been very small.
1: Yeah, it was not a convenient gift.
0: No, it was quite large. It's not like she's got jewellery to put in it. In fact, if anything, what I might have done, if you were really interested in that, would have been to take it apart and give her the music-making thing in it. Because I think those things... Like I think they're sort of bolted together, you know. You, if you took the music box apart, I don't think all the springs and cogs would sort of fall out. I think yeah. it comes out in one piece. I might have given her that and said, oh, "I found a box. I had this in it. Maybe with a bit of cleaning, you can make it go." Oh
1: well, then it couldn't have been dramatically appropriate later on. <laughs>
0: That's true. <laughs> well, I don't know. It might have been. It just wouldn't have looked quite as good.
1: That's true. <laughs> the other chat that happens in this part of the walk is Gabriel just trying to talk to Maggie, and I'll tell you what: once, <laughs> once a preacher, always a preacher.
0: Did you think what I thought as soon as he opened his mouth, you'd just go, no, you need to not do this. Yeah.
1: And you could tell Maggie wanted none of it either. No,
0: well, no, she said so. Yeah. She's like, just, can I mean, you stop?
1: Long before she said anything, yeah. you could tell she had no time for that conversation. That's
0: right. That's right. And you know, the way that she said to him, you didn't know them. Mm. How can you possibly help me? How can you possibly help me? Now, you didn't know them. You don't know anything about my relationship with them. Yeah. You saw nothing. She drove it home when she said, you know, my dad was a religious man. I know everything that you could possibly say to me. I could quote you the Bible, <laughs> and clearly he's got literally nothing to offer her. Yeah, and um, particularly
1: tone deaf when she mm. specifically says, I used to be religious.
0: Yeah, that's right. As a preacher, surely one of the key skills of being a preacher is making a human connection to someone. And surely part of that is picking up on thudding hints in a conversation. Like, these weren't... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Maggie dropped those hints like boulders on butterflies. Like, <laughs> that's how heavy they were, and yeah. he didn't pick them up.
1: Well, I guess maybe what we can chalk up his terrible conversation skills to is the fact that he is sweating his brain out inside that shirt with the dog collar.
0: Gabriel's just shit. He continues to be shit. At well, everything.
1: he just keeps backsliding. Mm. You think he's made a realisation, and he backslides. Oh, you think he's made a realisation. Yes. And they can get away with that for this episode, but they don't have too many more time no. to that particular roundabout.
0: Well, they've already had half a season of him being constantly irritating, putting people in danger, and irritating the audience.
1: What you can say about him in the last half season, however, is that for him, that was a day and a half, or two mm, days. Yeah, and true. the level of development he had in that time was fine. But now they're three weeks in, soon they're going to be five weeks in. How much longer Mm. does he get to just be so clueless?
0: Yeah. So, anyway.
1: We'll see. So, the herd behind them is still growing, and Sasha and Michonne are at the back, and Sasha reckons she can take them all. And Michonne basically says, no, you can't. Sit down, little tiger pup.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Michonne would be thinking, no, no, I could take them all. Yeah. (laughs) You can't take them all.
1: (laughs) Unless any of them have a bar through their torso, I'm all over
0: it. (laughs) That's right.
1: This is part of the ongoing set of signals that Sasha is not okay and is not in a place where there's good judgement, and whatever sort of grief-stricken idiocy led her to let Bob the cop escape has reared its head again now that Tyrese is dead. Yeah. And it seems to be even worse.
0: Well, yeah. Was it at that point that Michonne said that grief made Tyrese stupid? Stupid
1: and dangerous.
0: Yeah. Michelle doesn't pull punches. No. She's like, no, no, your grief is going to get you killed.
1: And you might take some of us on the way. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Just saying it outright. Tyrese was stupid because of his feelings. Made him dumb. Yeah. It's a gutsy thing to say to someone who's grieving over that person.
1: Yes. Daryl and Carol are off on their pretend hunting mission. Daryl just seems to want to be away from the group as much he as does. possible. He needs to...
0: Yep. He keeps yep. on going off on these little excursions. Yeah,
1: he can't be around them. <clears throat> so there's still no food, but Carol has a conversation with Daryl, which is obviously the main purpose of her going on the hunt. Of course. I thought it was quite a good mm. set of things to say to him. She obviously judged it very well.
0: I thought it was interesting when she was talking about the need for him to feel the loss. Yes, I thought it was interesting that she said that she can't let herself feel that loss. She said specifically, I can't let myself feel that, but I know you and you need to. Yes. I wondered, what was she basing the assessment of herself on? Is it because when she lost Sophia, it was such a devastating thing and she just goes, oh, I can't go through that again because I know I'll just break. Why can't she feel the loss?
1: I think... When she drops too deeply into her emotions, mm. she becomes the very aggressive person mm. who was willing to kill two sick people in order to save the group. Okay. I think she knows when she gets too in touch with her emotions to do with protection and grief and the danger of everyone around her, mm. she works herself into a state where she's willing to do stuff like that. And that has proven itself to be you know, something that's dangerous for her staying in the group. Okay. I'd like, buy that. That's one theory I have.
0: Well, I don't have one, so I'll go with yours.
1: Wicked. <laughs> I did wonder how did Carol have Beth's knife?
0: Well, they did take Beth out of there.
1: Yeah, but the only weapon Beth had was the scissors that she used to attack Dawn.
0: Could Carol have had the knife from. Oh, I don't know. The
1: only way it works is if someone's had it from all the way back to the prison. Yeah. Which, you know, fine, I suppose. That'll do.
0: I suppose it's also possible that Daryl had the knife and he just didn't want to carry it anymore, and Carol's giving it back to him or something.
1: If that's what happened, they needed to explain it a bit better. Yeah, no, I
0: don't actually think that's what happened. But I think someone else had it from the prison.
1: Yeah. Like it didn't need to be in the scene, but no. it just seemed like an odd thing to throw in there with no explanation. Yeah. But you know, I'm certainly not <coughs> going to get hung up about it.
0: I think it's just they needed this for the plot. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And, you know, Glenn had ruined Beth's C D, so she couldn't give that over anymore. Okay, so Rick's obviously made the assessment that they've reached the better moment for fighting with the herd. They they found
0: a crevasse. Yeah,
1: they find a bridge where there's a couple of good deep gullies on each side Mm. and the plan is that The weaker elements are waiting on the other side of the bridge and the chief fighters are on the herd side and they are going to let zombies walk up to them and then throw them over the side. Sasha loses it and starts fighting them instead of throwing over the side so everyone has to protect her and Mm. she's going off into the herd.
0: Michonne tries to stop her.
1: Michonne tries to stop her and she almost stabs Michonne. Mm. And there's a whole fight and it's depicted as Sasha starts (laughs) behaving erratically and so the plan is terrible. Or the plan's broken. yes. How good it was the plan to start off with? I
0: thought it was alright as a plan. I thought that it could have been executed better. Like, for that plan to work, you really need to have thinned out the numbers a little bit in terms of, you know, some of them could have run behind them and made some noise and, and made a few of the ones at the back turn around and follow them. Because what you don't want when you're trying to push zombies off a bridge is for them to be stacked up quite close together, you know, three or four deep. So that while you're pushing one over, the others have come up behind you to bite you. Yeah. Maybe they just did it like that for the ease of filming it. But I thought it would have made more sense if they'd been a little bit more strategic in terms of trying to spread the zombies out more. So that when one of them got close to the edge of the bridge, they could have been shoved off without having to worry that there was one right behind you. Which Uh, is kind of how it looked. Yeah. Like, it looked like they were only a metre between them.
1: It looked like there was a real danger of swarming. But Mm. also... One zombie actually getting a good hold of your t-shirt or your Uh, arm, and uh. you're going down the side with them. Yeah. When you grab people and throw them off a cliff, if they're not unconscious, there's a good chance that eventually you're going over the cliff with one of them.
0: Yeah, throwing people over a cliff is quite different. I mean, they are slightly faster to respond and have a whole lot of, you know, subconscious circuitry going on in the background to automatically make you grab hold of stuff. But the only
1: thing walkers seem to want to do is to grab hold of you and bite you. Mm. So actually, that's the only part of their circuitry that's Mm. working. And it just seemed like a really high risk plan.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's higher risk than just trying to off them.
1: I suppose. So. I mean, I would have thought even just grabbing some decent-sized sticks, so that you're pushing them off the cliff with a distance, would be better than for each one of them have to get right up to you, you grab them, so you're within arm's reach of them, mm. and throw them off. Yeah. But fine, we'll go with what the story was on the show. And the story on the show <laughs> was this was a fine plan.
0: <laughs> until Sasha decided to lose it.
1: Yes. So the one thing really of note, apart from the fact that Sasha has really lost it and Michonne has had enough of her shit, Mm. is that while Sasha is flailing her knife around, she catches a walker, her knife is covered in walker blood, and then she cuts Abraham's arm.
0: Hmm. And no one seems to notice.
1: No, and it's not really even clear whether or not Abraham noticed. Although I have theories.
0: I think he did. Like, he looked at it. I'm pretty sure, like, he noticed and he sort of went, oh, and then sort of looked at Sasha and Sasha was kind of looking at at the cut and him and sort of going, oh, fuck, what have I done? Okay. That kind of thing. Well,
1: then I'm even more sort of unimpressed.
0: Do you think this might be Chekhov's cut?
1: Well, I mean, that's it, isn't it? If he's been cut with a knife that's been cutting through the walkers.
0: Maybe they've forgotten that walker blood might infect you. I don't know. um,
1: I mean, I suppose we've never had exactly this scenario, but Mm. I'm not that chuffed about it.
0: Yeah. Up until now, I mean, we know that everybody has the virus or whatever it is. The pathogen that turns you into a walker. But we know it can be sped up by being bitten. Yes. So, up until now, we don't actually have confirmation that getting sort of walker blood into your system in a cut is definitely going to speed it up.
1: Except there have been some deaths that weren't to do with biting. Like whose? Well, like... Do you remember the really big black guy from the prison? He doesn't get bitten. He gets stabbed with a walker that's only got its arm bones. Their hands are missing. Right. And the walker really stabs into his torso from behind.
0: I can't remember that. I believe you, though.
1: And that's how he gets killed.
0: Hmm. Maybe the cut's just not big enough. Maybe. Put you it know. this way. Unless, sort of, Sasha and Abraham have kind of decided, oh, we're not going to mention it, you'd think they would have said something if this was a genuine concern. They would have gone, oh, actually... <laughs> I've got a cut on my arm, maybe we should cut out some of the flesh or just amputate the arm or something.
1: Yeah, so um, I I think it is a genuine concern, which makes me annoyed that neither of them mentioned it. Mm,
0: that's what I mean. That's what makes me lean towards it not being a genuine concern because that will annoy me. Well, In the I'm, same way, it will annoy you later on if suddenly, oh, oh no, Abraham's a zombie and it's like...
1: Whoa. Of course he is. Anyway, <laughs> I guess we'll find out later. Mm. They come upon a wreck of cars in the road, still no food or water, but there is a walker in the boot. Maggie finds it, then relocks the boot, then freaks out about not having killed it, Mm. and uh, just as she's freaking out, Glenn arrives, and he sorts out the key and kills the walker and sort of Mm. calms her down.
0: Maggie opens the boot, alright, and she's visually taken aback when she sees that the walker is bound. You know, it's been gagged, its hands and its feet are tied. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wondered whether perhaps the reason that she initially closed the boot and didn't just dispatch the walker was because she's basically seeing someone that it was at one point, either before or after it became a walker, taken into captivity, which is what happened to Beth.
1: Yes. It was interesting that it was a thin and, and it was blonde... in a car
0: as well, which is how Beth was abducted. Yeah, it was
1: a thin, blonde woman who'd been abducted in a boot. And it's no surprise that Maggie didn't deal with it well. mm I also think, I hadn't thought about it till you brought it up again, but following on from last week where we have the mysterious torsos and the graffiti about the wolves coming, mm. I'm a little concerned about the appearance of both another person tied up and held somewhere weirdly and the pack of wild feral dogs. Yeah. Just these things just keep coming back and I wonder if we're building towards something.
0: Yeah. Well, there's nothing obvious to tie them together yet, but they have a, an unsettling feel to them, don't they? They do. The other thing I thought about the walker in the boot, I mean this is obviously not something we're going to get an answer to, but there is an untold story there. If it's not part of some kind of grand plot which is going to unfold for the rest of the season, let's just say that this is just someone in a boot, I found myself sort of wondering, is this someone who was actually abducted by someone else? And it just happened to be at the same time as the Walker epidemic. And and unfortunately, you know, maybe there was a crash and whatever, the driver of the car ran or died and she was just left to turn in there. I mean, the other thing that I thought of was, what if this was someone's loved one who died and they managed to overpower and tie up because they couldn't deal with the idea of of offing them? Yeah, yeah. And they, obviously they put them in the boot because you don't put them on the fucking seat, even with the seatbelt, oh, with the danger of them <laughs> leaning forward to snap you, snap your ear off. Yeah. And took off with them somewhere. Yeah. Both are super disturbing.
1: For example, in World War Z, or World War Z to the rest of the world, but anyway,
0: we are Australian. It sure. is Z.
1: In World War Z, <laughs> there is this recurring theme of. As the outbreak's hitting, families managing to bind up their newly, weirdly aggressive loved ones, and going off transporting them in search of a place that knows what the cure is. Mm. And when you're in that part of what's going on and you think there might be a cure or there might be a place where someone knows how to fix this, Mm. of course you try and save your loved ones. It's what Herschel was doing in the barn. He did it far beyond the point of reason, but there's no reason to think that Walker hasn't been in there the whole time.
0: yeah. It also reminded me of a scene in the second Resident Evil film, which I'm not at all recommending you watch. The Resident Evil film series is really quite appalling. (laughs) I watch it because, you know, I have a very, very high tolerance for shit. Yeah. (laughs) But there is a scene in it where um, the main characters take refuge in a church. Yeah. And the priest, his wife, is a zombie. And he's tied her to a chair with a wire. And he's been feeding her. Been feeding her people. Right.
1: Well, that's a disturbing thought. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Back at the camp, Abraham has decided this is the moment to piss on, which makes me think that he at least thinks he's on the way out because of the cut on his arm. I the...
0: really hope he's not, though, because... It's too soon. No, I mean just at all, because I find the whole, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone. Like, seriously, fucking, aren't We passed this by now. Well,
1: we'll find Come out. Come on. We'll find out. <sighs> Some dogs come out of the bushes, Mm. and they are feral and scary looking, and in this instance, I think Sasha being quick on the trigger was a good move.
0: Yeah, I thought so as well. When Rick and the others started to draw knives, I'm like, seriously? These are not shambolic walkers here that are imprecise and stupid. These are alive, agile hunters.
1: Quicker than you.
0: Quicker than you. You know, this is a time for bullets, definitely. Mm. So yes, I agree.
1: She basically dead eyes all of them, and they've got dinner! Food. Dinner!
0: <laughs> yes, Do you know what's indeed. on the menu
1: tonight, John. Hot what? dog.
0: Ah,
1: pun, pun. So, <laughs> they have a barbecue, and I hope they cooked up all those dogs that are carrying the meat with them, because that's a few days' meat there. Easy. Mm. Even for a group that size. But still, Sasha and Noah have a bit of a conversation, and mm. he's obviously feeling a bit lost, and. Well, um, he says
0: he doesn't think he's going to make it.
1: Yeah. Sasha's putting on her brave face and saying, you've got to be sure, otherwise you definitely won't.
0: Yeah, I found that a bit surprising, considering she seems to be going through some shit. I wasn't really sure that she'd have that kind of talk in her.
1: No, I think she's going through her shit in a very aggressive, shut-down kind of way. Yeah. And so the way she responded to him didn't bother me so much. Mm -hmm. And I think it was created so that later on she could admit to Maggie that she'd been lying. Sure. But with Noah in this episode... What we had again was Noah's main purpose seemed to be providing someone for the real characters to talk to.
0: The real characters. Well, that's
1: the way it's been treated, you know. He's not a real character yet. No. He's not being given his own motivations or his own purpose. He's just being... He's around so that Sasha can talk to him. He's around so that such and such can talk to him.
0: He's there, really, because the other option was killing himself, I guess.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I hope that he doesn't continue to be a non-entity, and to be fair, he's not that many episodes in, I'm not totally annoyed about it yet, but this was an episode where he was presented a few times as being very upset, Mm. but there was no exploration of that, there was no depth to that. Yeah. So I hope they get some depth soon. The other thing that happens in this scene is that Gabriel finally burns his dog collar.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's not a good day for
1: dogs.
0: (laughs) Maggie takes note as he burns his dog collar. Yep. As I was watching the scene, I mean, he doesn't do it as a deliberate show. Or if he does, he does it very skillfully. I think he didn't do it as a deliberate show. Like, I think it was a kind of making that decision in the moment, may as well burn it, that kind of thing. Because he doesn't look up at all. He doesn't sort of look to see who's watching, you know. Who's watching this great statement I'm making of burning my dog collar? He doesn't do that. It's, it was a it's little... It's very understated. It's well, just...
1: the one thing it was, even though I don't think he was doing it for show, it was a bit petulant. Like, take it off and put it in your pocket.
0: Why? What do you need it for?
1: Well, you either believe in what it stands for or you don't. There are plenty of churches, particularly in hot places, where it's pretty routine for the priest to take off his dog collar when it gets really hot. Mm. And then put it back on when it's not stinking hot and you've got some water. The whole all or nothing thing in his religion is very strange.
0: okay. I thought it was meant to be symbolic of a giving up.
1: I think it was as well, but I think it was a quite petulant giving up.
0: I don't think that could have been communicated by him just putting it in his pocket. I suppose so. That's what I mean.
1: I'm sure it was to show that he was giving up in that, you know, huge way. In in
0: which case, putting it in his pocket wasn't really an option, if that's what they were trying to show.
1: No, but he also should... He shouldn't just behave as a set of symbols. He should behave as a human. And is it really the first time he's ever experienced major heat in his career as a priest? living in the southern United States. No,
0: but it might be the first time he's had to really exert himself outside during the heat.
1: Maybe he did like staying inside. Mm. Anyway, they move on again, and Glenn finally gets Maggie to open up. And she gives, you know, a sort of variation on the speech that people have been calling for for about 16 episodes, (laughs) the... I didn't quite believe she was alive, and I hoped she was, and then to find out and have it all taken away in such a quick... You know, it was a sort of general...
0: Didn't she just say flat out that she just didn't believe that Beth was alive? I thought it was quite definitive. Yeah, but
1: then a few lines later, she did say she hoped she was alive.
0: Yeah, maybe. It was a
1: little all over the place. Mm. But that's alright. At least I did something. (laughs) What she moves on to is saying that she's not sure she can go on. Mm. And it's Glenn's turn to give a pep talk and
0: talk about the need to carry on which after his nihilistic is a little strong, but after his role last episode, in which he sort of played the devil on Rick's shoulder as opposed to Michonne's angel about having hope and striking out for somewhere in the hope that it's going to be better, it kind of made me go, yeah, you didn't really know what you were talking about the last episode. How you were feeling there (laughs) is not how you feel when you're confronted with the person that you love losing hope.
1: You and I, and we talked about this last week, you and I have different views of what he was saying last week. Mm. I thought that he was walking a very a starkly realistic line mm. in his mind. I don't think he was saying that they should give up. And I didn't find his position this week, which was, we need to accept that this might be all there is. Mm. And at the same time saying, even if this is all there is, we need to keep going. I didn't find that a problem mm. as a step from last week.
0: I thought it rang a little. Not hollow, just to me it made what he said last episode very of the moment for him. He was feeling that particular way at that particular time. Perhaps I don't feel like it was a very deeply felt view.
1: But I think there's the difference between what he actually said last week and what you paraphrased and dramatised when we were talking about what he said. Mm, Alright,
0: well, okay.
1: And we all do that, but I don't think what he said last week was as extreme as you saw it to be.
0: Mm.
1: what he actually said mm. anyway he definitely doesn't want Maggie to give up mm. no and earlier on he was talking to Daryl and he said the line we can make it together but we can only make it together mm. so I think he's actually not, he's not an optimist about what's going on but with the stark realistic view of the world he's optimistic about their chances Abraham and Sasha are at the back of the group now And uh, he offers her a a slug of the booze.
0: Mm, Which she's having none of.
1: She's having none of it. And she's also having none of his friendship. Mm. Which I thought was a little rude for someone she just killed.
0: (sighs) Well, yeah. yeah. I thought it was an interesting kind of contrast where in earlier seasons, I think the feeling was very much, this is us. And we look out for us. We look out for each other. And, you know, what Sasha was saying there was very much kind of, well, we just kind of ended up together and...
1: You're not really part of us. You're not
0: really a part of us. I don't think that you're part of the group that I consider to be my friends. Yeah. It's still Which, pretty cold. Oh, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. But I think that that's... It's a significant change from earlier seasons, where that seemed to be quite a strong theme. That they all really considered each other to be basically their their family now. And that's not the case for Sasha. No. At least with Abraham.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl goes off to have a smoke.
0: And a little cry.
1: And to burn his hand. And with the pain of burning his hand, to start having a proper cry about Beth.
0: Yeah, well I wondered whether the pain was, I don't know, a trigger somehow.
1: It certainly seemed to act that
0: way. Mm. When it comes to self-harm, it's certainly not always about killing yourself. No. Sometimes it's about feeling something. And for some people, for whatever reason, they find it very difficult to feel something. And so they end up hurting themselves in order to achieve that. I wonder to what extent Daryl in the past, because of parents that were pretty obviously neglectful Mm -hmm. and an older brother who (laughs) was abusive and, you know, how much in the past he had adapted to not feel things and therefore needed a trigger. And perhaps his trigger, like a lot of people's, is self-harm.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's a perfectly reasonable hypothesis to put over the scene. When Daryl gets back from his cry, from his letting himself feel it, Mm -hmm. he finds that the group is on the road and they've found a huge amount of water.
0: (laughs) Yes. Just Just waiting there.
1: And there's a note saying that it's from a friend. (laughs) And they're debating whether or not they should drink the water. Mm. So Eugene, who maybe did lose a few brain cells when he got knocked on the head, Decides that he'll guinea pig it and drink some of the water. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that the person who stopped him was Abraham.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: the one person in the group who has wished Eugene specifically dead...
0: Yeah.
1: ...is back to not wanting him to poison himself with water.
0: Yes. This is how I interpreted that scene. Mm. Or that particular interaction. I interpreted Eugene's willingness to try the water. I think he's on some kind of... Some kind of redemption kick or still feels the guilt of having lied to these people and gotten people killed and perhaps felt like that was, you know, a reasonable risk to expose himself to if that was going to save the rest of the group, potentially, you know. So I can kind of understand why he might have thought that. I'm not saying it was a smart thing to do, but I can see maybe the thought process that might have got him there.
1: I can see that as one interpretation of the scene. Mm. But another interpretation is that he still has no impulse control, which was something that he's been well established as. And he still has that combination of no impulse control and the ability to justify his impulses to himself and try and justify them to others Mm. using whatever garbled stuff he's come up with.
0: Okay, yep. That's Maybe another that's way true. to interpret the scene. The, the other part of the scene, when, when Abraham smacks the bottle out of his hand, you mm-hmm. made the point that, you know, of, of all people who are pissed off with him, <laughs> Abraham is rightfully the most pissed he off. He is
1: first in line.
0: I thought that <laughs> if I was Abraham, part of me would be thinking, you've cost so many lives, you've cost us so much. You can't just die like that. If there's something in this water, then it will be for nothing. Fine, you're not who you said you were, but we won't even have saved you.
1: Yeah, that's a plausible Like being as
0: well. angry about the fact that, yeah. wait, wait, no, 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 we actually, you know, in terms of human life and resources, you cost this much to keep alive, and you're willing now to literally make it for nothing. Yeah. Fuck you. You can suffer with the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're not getting out that easy. That's right. (laughs) No
0: redemption for you.
1: (laughs) So, just as Rick is putting his foot down and saying, "No, we can't trust the water," uh, it starts to rain, Mm -hmm. and everyone is ecstatic.
0: Everyone's ecstatic. Yeah. Some of them lie down in the rain.
1: Well, I say everyone, and actually I misspoke, because they make a point of showing us four people who are not ecstatic. Yes. And they are the four upset, broken, grieving people in the group. Mm -hmm. So, Maggie is not ecstatic about the rain, Daryl looks totally unaware of it, and is just the same po-faced person he's been all episode...
0: All all, Um, all, all show.
1: (laughs) And Sasha and Noah are in a similar state.
0: I thought Sasha in particular looked very unimpressed. Oh, yeah. Like, look at this motherfucking rain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How dare you rain right now?
1: (laughs) So they start gathering water, they start lying down with their mouths open, and everyone's Mm. very happy, but not long afterwards, the rain becomes a storm. Yes. Meanwhile, Gabriel, who lost his faith and took off his dog collar...
0: He's apologising to God yes, for having only, lost his faith. If
1: only he'd worn that ridiculous garment for another 20 minutes, God would be happy with him.
0: Oh, It's just... Oh, I hated it. I was yeah. just, oh.
1: Part of what's going on here is that you and I, both being atheists, mm. are already absolutely primed to be annoyed about any character having a personal relationship with God. <laughs> and when that relationship is also think, petulant and stupid... I think stupid, you mean
0: an imaginary friend.
1: Yes. <laughs> Eat. That they
0: keep on deciding is real, and then not deciding is real, and yeah. you and I find it very hard to care about that.
1: If you're going to have an imaginary friend, at least believe in them, DK. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, the storm is on the way, and the storm is picked up quickly, because by the time Daryl shows them all to a barn he found while he was crying...
0: Really pouring.
1: Yeah, it is yeah. bucketing down. Mm. They clear the barn, Maggie finds another blonde woman in one of the side rooms... And she finds it astonishing that this woman let herself get into this state because she could have killed herself, Mm. which I thought was an interesting thing for someone who's in so much grief to say.
0: Yeah. Well, Carol makes the point that some people literally can't kill themselves. Some people don't have it in them to give up. And then she says, people like us.
1: And she says it looking a little worriedly.
0: Yes. She says it, you know, people like us, huh? Huh? Yeah. (laughs) Like that.
1: (laughs) hand over the gun, Maggie. (laughs) That's
0: right. (laughs) Because you would have thought, that, I mean, for, for someone like Carol, you would have thought the point at which she would have topped herself would have been the loss of her daughter. like that. Or getting kicked out of the group. Or getting kicked like, out of the group, but uh, look, to be honest, I think the loss of her daughter probably would have been the point yeah. that nothing could compare to that loss. Even losing the group, mm. nothing could possibly compare to it. And so she... I mean, she's also talked before about being unsure about where she's going to go afterwards, which is obviously not a concern of ours. But it's one of hers, and she wants to...
1: You (laughs) mean whether or not she's going to heaven or hell? Yes, and she wants to
0: lengthen her stay because she's afraid she's going to hell. (laughs) But we know that Carol is not going to off herself because she's been to that point, and there's nothing worse that could happen to her.
1: Yes. So we move on to a fireside conversation. And I've quite enjoyed seeing this because this is a staple of the comic books, these sort of fireside chats where everyone sits around and says what they're thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought this one was pretty well done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Michonne and Glenn are still at opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to hope about the situation and the world they find themselves in.
0: Yep.
1: You know, Michonne thinks there is somewhere that's better than this. Yep. And Glenn is saying again, we need to be prepared for the possibility that there isn't.
0: I can't get out of my head the idea that every time Glenn says this, Michonne is just going, Bitch, please. <laughs> I've been there. You can't tell me anything about being prepared for it being shit. I'm, I'm just fully on Michonne's side here.
1: I think that's a legitimate thing to say about Michonne, in that I don't think she's naive. Hmm. So I think that's a fair enough thing to say about her. But I don't think it undermines Glenn's point. Glenn's point is just that all the evidence is that this is what it's like everywhere mm. and situations where they've allowed themselves to get into a lot of hope about it improving have mm. not turned out well for them thus far. No. And I don't think his point is less correct because Michonne spent that time
0: on her own. No. Equally, I think that Glenn's point also doesn't invalidate Michonne's. You're searching for a safe place. And you can look at the safe places they had before and sort of went, yeah, well, you know, they didn't end up too well. They were still in a place where they were safe for quite a long time and it was better than being out there.
1: Oh, yes. I think that what makes this interaction interesting is that both of them have legitimate, well-founded points Mm -hmm. and positions and that they're positions that are based well on the characters that they are. So I think what makes it interesting is that balance between both the points. But my Mm. point is that I don't think Michonne's got all of the right of it And I don't think Glenn's got all the right of it. Mm. That's what actually is making this an interesting interaction for me.
0: Yeah. I suppose the continued putting of those points, though. I mean, it's an attempt from both of them to try to sway the, I guess, inner dialogue or inner monologue of the people around them in terms of leaning towards hope or possibly leaning towards the realism of the fact that we can look, but we probably won't find. I think Michonne might be worried that Glenn's realism can slide too easily into pessimism. And I think that's why she continues to put her point. But I think you're right. They're both... They are not incompatible points. In fact, they're complementary. They are both true. I think they have to keep looking, but they also have to be aware that it's quite unlikely.
1: And the key thing about this group is that it has somehow found itself in a situation where the two of them can have those opposing views and it's not a danger to the group, and Mm. it's not even a danger to the group deciding what it's going to do next because Mm. Glenn's perfectly happy for them to look for somewhere Michonne might be looking for, as long as when it comes up, he's allowed to say his point of view as well. Yeah. So Rick hears all of this and he tells a story about... When he was young, he asked his grandfather about the war. He asked his grandfather about whether or not he'd ever killed anyone, and his yeah. grandfather wasn't that interested in talking about it.
0: Good <laughs> on his, Not old on, enough.
1: Good on his grandfather.
0: Mm.
1: But he also asked if anyone had ever tried to kill his grandfather. Mm. And the answer was interesting in that his grandfather told a story in which he assumed he was dead every single day that he was in enemy territory.
0: Mm.
1: and the way that he was able to operate was to assume he was already dead and get on with it. Mm. Rick has been remembering this mm. and has come to the conclusion that the way they are going to survive
0: mm.
1: is to adopt some of that mentality. Yeah. Adopt well. the mentality that they need to get on with it, mm. they need to look the danger squarely in the eye, accept it, and get on with each day. Yeah. And that's how they're going to survive.
0: And that's also where we get the
1: title drop. Well, it's a massive title drop because mm. Rick says the line, and it is a line straight out of the books, we are the walking dead.
0: Yeah. Which has been the staring in your face analogy for the entire season? You know, it's for the entire show. It's yep. always been these people are just dead people walking. Yeah, you know, the people that we care about <laughs> are just dead people walking.
1: Well, it is. It's the central point of all zombie yeah. stories: is mm. that the monsters are us, and to some extent, we are the monsters as well. Mm. But it's a double title drop, because just after Rick said that, mm. Daryl is not at all pleased about this point of view.
0: No, and we finally learn who them are. <laughs> yes,
1: because we ain't them.
0: We ain't them. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Rick has this theory about how they're going to basically cope with shit by assuming that they're dead. Basically, I guess, when you do that, you kind of look at every day as a bonus, don't you?
1: <laughs> kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah whereas Daryl, he's not having it with any comparison between them and the walkers.
1: No, Daryl continues his streak of not being into metaphor.
0: (laughs) Yes, he's a very straightforward man.
1: Indeed. He doesn't like abstract art or metaphor. (laughs) But it's a good thing thing that he was annoyed with the conversation because it meant that he got up and walked away to have a little bit of time on his own Mm. and saw that there was a herd coming outside.
0: Yes, I think not coming here... The herd was literally metres away from the door.
1: That's true. It's
0: here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now, at that stage, before we get into actually describing the scene that follows, why wouldn't you make some sort of noise? Oh, I know. He just held the doors closed and I didn't know. say, psst, guys, walkers,
0: shitloads of and th- them. three people in a row didn't do that. Yeah. First it was Daryl, then it was Maggie. Well, and then it was Sasha.
1: The first responders to holding the door closed against the oncoming storm oh, the ones against the with angst. were Yeah, they were the three key people. I mean, obviously, I don't know, Noah was holding a shutter somewhere closed as well or something. But the no, three
0: No no no, he was hiding behind it. Yeah. The three yeah, <laughs> even behind the latticework. Oh, no, even better. Maybe the shutter had fallen on him, he oh, couldn't get up.
1: <laughs> he found a bookshelf somewhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: but the the three real characters who were upset <laughs> yes. were the first ones to hold the door closed. Yeah. And then the metaphors were being laid on thick because there's the storm, there's the oncoming death and Glenn was right because only all of them together could hold the doors closed. Yep. And I, I was quite moved. I felt like the Independence Day speech should be playing over that scene. <laughs> it was great.
0: I was a little bit worried for Judith when... When 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 Carl Carl put her down. down And I was just like, what if there's like a hole around the back? You know, groping walker arms, managed to clutch on her to her little leg and pull her out. And I was, to be honest, I wasn't that worried. I didn't think that the writers were going to, if they were going to kill Jude, if it was going to be a much more significant setting than this. Still, it made me worry a little bit.
1: yeah, but on the other hand, you don't want him carrying her up to the door no the well I thought he might just I
0: thought he might just stay away from all the doors and windows holding her.
1: No, realistically, outside of the panic that everyone feels about a baby left on its own
0: mm.
1: he put it down on the ground away from the walls. it was probably the right choice so that he could probably. actually go and help close yes. the door yes so anyway, they're holding it shut against the storm and against the walkers and we go to black mm-hmm. And they wake up completely inexplicably, all snuggled up all around the barn. Like, they don't all wake up leaning against the door. Well, they're not, the not all around
0: the barn. They're all grouped around the door. There was very clearly, there's the front near the door, and there was the back where most of the people were where mm. the fire is. Yeah. And where Judith was left. And they're all near the door. Like, they've all gone to sleep. Okay. Around each other, and in one half of the barn so that they're clearly all close to the door and can get up and lean on it again if they need to.
1: I suppose so. As soon as they woke up and we saw them all lying around I did think, okay I get that the storm has passed but where did the herd go? Yes. Were the zombies attached to the storm? (laughs) But I mean they sort of lampshade it in a minute. We'll get to that. Maggie gets up and talks to Daryl and they talk about Beth a little bit and Mm. how she may not have known it but she was a real toughie.
0: She was. She really, really was.
1: Daryl has fixed the music (coughs) box, he claims.
0: He claims.
1: So Maggie goes over and gets Sasha, and they head outside. We see that this is the most convenient storm that has ever struck on (laughs) any TV show, ever.
0: (laughs) Ah, yes. You know, I am really glad we did not see Gabriel walk outside.
1: And say, it's a miracle! Oh... I'll tell you what, though, it was pretty close to a miracle, because... Well, it was, obviously. I get that it might have dispersed the herd with a few falling trees or whatever, but this is a group of, of monsters that have no concern for their own safety. Yes. So why would they get thrown off going into the barn? Which means that the only explanation is that every single one of those fuckers was pinned or squashed.
0: Yes. All of them were incapacitated somehow. Yeah. Well, yeah. When I was looking at the background... When Maggie and Sasha come outside for the first time, and we get to see that long shot, I was fairly sure I saw basically a very wide path carved into the ground.
1: Like a tornado.
0: Pretty much, yeah, like a tornado, which had swept through, literally missed the barn by inches, mm. but was close enough to, <laughs> to blow away all the zombies that were literally pushed up against the wall. Yes quite a literal miracle. Yeah, um, well,
1: no. I mean, tornadoes do that thing where they just mm, leave one house on a street. And, that
0: is true. So it's lucky,
1: okay. but not unheard of in nature. <laughs>
0: that's That's true. You know you know what was a bit unbelievable? That one zombie hanging from the tree that ten metres up. That was
1: amazing. I'm willing to forgive it. 10
0: meters up, just impaled a on a branch.
1: It was stupid. I was
0: just like, fuck off. <laughs>
1: Well, if it was a tornado, that actually makes yeah, I Yeah, I suppose
0: if it was a tornado and it actually picked walkers up, you know, and they travelled up the funnel and then got flung out, yeah. then yes.
1: Then that's fine. Yeah. So let's go with tornado. <laughs> so they head out through the miracle wasteland and they're off to watch the sunrise. They have another good conversation. I found it very realistic that of the people who were in real pain, it actually took them talking to each other to help them begin to heal. Sure. I thought that was more realistic than, yes. than for example, Maggie deciding she actually did want to talk to Gabriel.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that was well done. I thought yeah. that was a very believable exchange between the two of them. I've actually been watching a, a TV show recently that's about people with a terminal illness and oh, how yeah. they're dealing with the fact that they've got a, a limited life and they know approximately when they're going to die, most of them. And in the most recent episode, they also brought their sort of primary emotional support person. And one of the things that was made clear in the episode is that in the same way that these people who were dying can only really understand each other because it's a shared experience the carers can only really understand each other. You know, the people who are dying don't really understand what the carers are going through. They might not be dying, but, you know, they're watching someone they care about dying, and that's a very unique experience on its own. Mm. And so, yes, I absolutely believe that Sasha and Maggie were the only people who could possibly understand what the other was going through at that point and could even respect what the other person was saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything that Gabriel could have said would have sounded... Feeble. Fee- terribly feeble. Yeah. Terribly feeble. Terribly hollow and flimsy. And honestly, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just fuck off right now. <laughs> Whereas the words of someone else who was just going, I feel your pain because I feel the pain and it's terrible and I don't know how I'm going to go on either. Yeah. They just admitted to each other, I'm having it really, really hard. And there was comfort in that. I think also this wasn't spoken but I think what happened was that although they both acknowledged they didn't know if they were going to be able to go on what they actually saw was someone feeling the same pain as them going on.
1: Yeah. To cap off the scene and Maggie's obviously decided that she will be sentimental this episode. <laughs> she is going to turn on the music box that's been newly repaired but mm-hmm. hilariously it doesn't work.
0: <laughs>
1: ah, ha, ha. Ah, ha, ha. But just at that moment A man comes out of the trees nearby.
0: He says hello. He says hello.
1: Outrageous.
0: (laughs) Very suspicious.
1: He's really creepily smiley and he's he's smiley and
0: he's clean.
1: And he's polite. I don't trust him at all. No
0: No, we haven't seen someone like this in universe time for two years. People don't look like this anymore. Yeah. What kind of witchcraft is this? The
1: last guy who was as clean as this man was Jenna, who had running water in the CDC.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Okay, so he jumps Mm. out, and he says, to to be fair to this character, who, let's be very clear, I don't trust either, he jumps out and he says all the right stuff. He's Mm. got his hands up, he says, I understand that you'd be afraid of meeting someone you don't know, I promise I'm a friend, I promise I'm not here to hurt you.
0: But then he comes out with something really quite creepy... I want to talk to Rick. Yeah. How the fuck do you know who that Rick is? That bit
1: is super not okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How the fuck do you know anything about us? Yeah. <laughs> he better
1: have a spectacular answer to that question.
0: Yes. Do we take it as Red that he's the one that left the water? I or think he, he was. Or he or his group. Yeah. He or his.
1: Well, one of the things I thought about the water, that was about 10 kilos of water. Hmm. Two four-litre jugs and a whole lot of individual bottles. That was a lot of water for one person Mm. to rucksack in and leave there.
0: Obviously, he's with other people.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, you know, he and his laundry team (laughs) (laughs) walked the water in. If it's not him, that's a huge coincidence. Yes. So, he says he's a friend. He wants to talk to Rick, which is very creepy. Mm. And he says he has good news.
0: Well, that's obviously going to be bad, isn't it? Just
1: then, the music box starts to work. (laughs) And I particularly enjoyed the faces of the two women as they looked at it.
0: Plot-appropriate inanimate objects Ah, for the win. all over the place. (laughs) That is one genre-savvy music box.
1: I know, right? (laughs) It's as if, as the humans become more dead, all the inanimate stuff on this show becomes more alive.
0: (laughs) There is a school of thought in philosophy that there is a certain level of consciousness in everything. (laughs) If that's true, (laughs) do you think in that moment, (laughs) just when that got said, the music box thought, this is my time to shine!
1: (laughs) This is my moment. (laughs) And uh, that's the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. I felt like in this episode, Glenn and Maggie as a couple started to get their chemistry back. How did you feel
0: about it? It's not really something that occurred to me during the episode, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Look, I think that Glenn's concern for Maggie certainly came across very genuinely. I wasn't sort of watching him going, I don't well, no, I really buy that you're this concerned about her. So in that sense, yeah, I thought that that was yeah, a touch of special there.
1: He was also the only person she was willing to open up to for a yeah. lot of the episode. yeah. I felt like a lot of the scenes were quite well done in terms when he turns up to help her with the zombie in the boot, when he gets her to finally talk. I just felt they were very believable as a couple. Yeah. Which is not something we've seen for a while, really.
0: No, well, there hasn't really been room, I suppose.
1: There wasn't much of them last half season, but... Yeah. I mean, obviously, if Maggie's going to be a big feature of this season, we're going to get to see a bit more of that. And I'm glad that the mojo is still there.
0: Yeah.
1: Of the broken four characters... Mm-hmm. Who do you think is on their way to healing? We've got Noah, Maggie, Sasha and Daryl.
0: I think Sasha and Maggie, having had that conversation, I feel like we should get more of that later on, maybe. Mm-hmm. Certainly in real life, once you find that connection, you don't let it go. So I, I feel like Sasha and Maggie should be okay. I think that was the beginning of them healing from that particular pain. hmm I know about Daryl. I mean, he's he's not a an emotive person. <laughs> That's a bit of an understatement.
1: <laughs> he's not that complicated a person. No, right? but
0: Carol, who does know him well, said, "I know what you need to do. You need to cry it out." And he did. Yeah. So, I think there's a good chance that that was his that was his thing. Mm-hmm. That he's done it and, you know, he's obviously not going to be happy immediately, but I think he might have dealt with the worst of it through that. Mm. I think Noah's got a long way to go. The small amount that we did see of him in this episode, conversation with Sasha where he's like, I don't know if I can go on... I noticed in that scene, he's very, very deliberately sitting away from everyone else in the group. He's got his back to them. Yeah. He's got his back to everyone in the group. That's some bad body language there. Yeah. I'm really worried
1: about the fact that not only are we not seeing the show pay any attention to him, Mm. we're also not seeing anyone in the group pay any attention to him. So he is. He's very much outside this group. Mm. He sort of ended up with them through a series of really bad events.
0: Well, I think he's a reminder to them. I, I reckon if I was part of that group, then every time I saw him, I would, I would remember Beth.
1: I suppose. I sort of understand that, but it's pretty rough on old Noah.
0: Oh, I didn't say it was fair. And
1: they're the ones who left the hospital and decided that he should join their group so they could take him home, and, you know, they did adopt this kid, and mm. now they're kind of neglecting him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, again, we're not that far in, but I hope it doesn't continue.
0: Mm.
1: I hope he's not just being set up to have something really tragic happen to him.
0: Well, I mean... Something more That's, really
1: tragic uh, happened to him.
0: I was going to say, it's sort of everyone in the show, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone's being set up by the or, or later for something really dreadful to happen to them.
1: Well, I guess, uh, sorry, a bit like Judith. <laughs> I hope he's not only being kept around so that right. something tragic can happen to him. Okay. Speaking of Judith... One of the comments that's made at the fireside is that Judith and Carl are basically better off because they have only ever known this world. Mm. They're going to bounce back better, they're Mm. going to be able to adjust and acclimatise because they haven't really known much of anything else.
0: Yeah. What do you think of that? Look, I think it's true that children adapt faster than adults do in some ways. Mm -hmm. So I think Carl... I think he probably is at an advantage where at a time when his brain is specifically geared towards learning shit as fast as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, the world has massively changed and he's having to learn shit really quickly. Yeah. So I think that on a very biological level, that is true. And I think that it's a lot easier to cope with a massive loss when you haven't actually experienced the loss. Yeah. And Judith has never experienced the world as it was before.
1: She's going to have no memory of it. She's going to have
0: no memory of it. She's going to have no memory of her mother. She's going to have no memory of anyone that dies within the next three years. So, yeah, I think probably that is true. Yeah.
1: What was the standout moment of this episode for you?
0: Oh, I want to say it was Daryl crying. (laughs) Because, as I have said before, when Daryl cries, we all cry very much thing
1: (laughs) you're a bit of a sadist actually
0: (laughs) hey look i i'm a little bit into the emotional porn okay (laughs) Uh, look but to be honest i actually found sasha and maggie's conversation at the end the most touching moment of the episode i found that connection to be really genuine really believable and yeah that's my standout moment excellent do you have one
1: Yeah. These moments are showing that I'm a woman of simple tastes every week. I. (laughs) Daryl is
0: made for you, then. No.
1: (laughs) I I was really touched by the scene where they all held the door closed together. Oh, yeah. You know, Glenn had put forward his little union manifesto of solidarity, (laughs) and they all joined in, and yeah, I I really enjoyed that moment.
0: Yes. Conveniently helped by a freak tornado.
1: Conveniently helped by a freak tornado (laughs) and a horde of zombies. (laughs) Nonetheless... I'm someone who likes to see the activity rather than be told the story or told the theory. So, I really enjoyed seeing that on screen.
0: There is certainly something... I ate it up. There is certainly something to be said for watching the group really have to rely on each other. Yeah. It's that kind of experience that forges the strong relationships that for example, don't exist between Sasha and Abraham.
1: Yeah. yeah, Or can... Noah and anyone. Or Noah
0: and anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I can totally understand why that would be your standout moment. It is a formative event.
1: Yeah. Zombie kill of the week.
0: You know, I don't think anything really stood out to me in this episode.
1: I'm giving it to the tornado. No, oh. Throwing a zombie into a tree? That is absolutely beautiful. If it's
0: thrown into the tree where the stomach is it's not dead. You make a good point.
1: Okay, well, in that case...
0: In fact, most of them weren't dead.
1: The ones thrown down a gully aren't dead? Okay, well, I'm sure it was just one of the ones during the stupid fight that Sasha started. Yeah, but
0: none of them were particularly... No,
1: no, we're just, it's just one of them. <laughs> I'm done.
0: Okay, well, I'm not going to pick one, because I don't think any of them deserved zombie kill of the week. It's totally fair. Prizes withheld. I know, right? Maybe we should hold it over and pick two next week.
1: That's a good plan. <laughs> Alright, score out of ten for the episode.
0: I think I'll give it seven and a half.
1: Oh, really? Mm. Okay.
0: Mm. It's not the best episode they've done, but it's a solid one.
1: Well, I thought it was very solid. I'm giving it eight and a half. Oh,
0: okay. Fair enough.
1: I really enjoyed it.
0: Well, I really enjoyed it too, but I I wasn't sort of mouth-hanging open, oh my god, that was amazing at the end. No. I thought it was a solid episode of character development and following up on checking in, how is the group after their recent harrowing experiences? And I thought it was accomplished well. Not masterfully, but well. That's by reasoning for 7.5. <laughs> excellent,
1: excellent. I thought it was another episode where they successfully patted their head and rubbed their bellies at the same time. They had genuine environmental problems they were having to deal with, and at mm. the same time they were able to do heaps of character development. They progressed towards a new other group they're going to have to deal with. Mm. And Anyway, I, I thought that they successfully achieved a whole lot of different goals. Fair enough. And I... I'm giving them half a point for the music box. (laughs) That's a lie. But eight and a half points, I reckon, is what I'm giving (laughs) you. Cool. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook by doing a search for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel, then you can fuck right off. Bye!
0: Buckety bye! bye Maybe it's fishy. No matter what Cope. the revolution will not make germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no reverb, brothers. The revolution will be live.
1: No,
0: No. Can eat it? To... Eat hey, it. Yummy, yummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Times are hard. Ah, <laughs> oh, Carl. The biggest 12-year-old in the planet. <laughs> Master of depressing gifts. <laughs> you don't want to talk.
1: Take the hint, Off
0: your father. Whenever you're ready, I'm here. You had a job. You had one job. Maggie Truth Talks. <laughs> I <laughs> think supposed to believe it's his dad's own I got Ah! They <laughs> pulled his scalp off. That's <laughs> oh, amazing. Ooh. Oh, fuck.
1: Oh. Ah.
0: Oh shit! Jesus! Dog meat. Better than worms? <laughs> oh, I can have collar. Take off the fucking dog collar. Come there it on. Goes. <laughs> Finally. Oh. Yeah. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Fucking hell! Wow. I drop. drop. That missed the band by a centimeter. Oh, look at that floppy arm. There's an elbow that's bending the wrong way. Good
1: morning.
0: no nope. Oh my god. My name is Aaron. Freak! I'm a friend. What fresh hell is this? I have good news. no nope. ha <laughs> <laughs>